Nicole. I'm Donna. And I'm Carrie. And we are Paranormal Chicks. Episode 152. You know what? First off, I am so glad that some of y'all put in the Facebook group that y'all were grossed out about Carrie's story and how he made them scratch his armpits. (laughs) And I also love how many little Donnas we got out there that that's what you took away. That was so but it was very uncalled gross. for. <laughs> yes, it was. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. It's bad. Really though. I'm kidding, because that really was like, like I will do a lot I will do anything for love, but I will not do that. You think that's what Meatloaf was talking about? Yeah. I mean, you know what? Degrade me all you want, but if you say scratch my fucking armpit. I know another thing you won't do. I don't like spit. Uh-huh. What if they said Well, also, it depends on the person, but, like, who he was, I'm just imagining really, really bad, like... Body odor. Body odor and armpit hair and just, like, Well, because if you think about, too, they lived so much with, like, outrunning water without electricity and all of that. And so, like, I just feel like he was stinky. Yes. And, like, you had skin cells underneath your fingernails when you're finished. Well, that just took it to a whole nother level. That's why I was like, ew, like, oh, no. See, all I could picture was his armpit hair, and that grossed me out. I mean, that was gross, but, I mean, some people I'd be like, I mean, okay, I'll do it, but him, no. Some people I could do it if it was over an article of clothing. I would never want to do it straight skin. Yeah. I could do it. No. I could do it with my handy-dandy back scratcher. Oh, my gosh. You know I love that gadget. <laughs> People on the thank you videos know you love that fucking gadget. Who are those people, Donna? Oh, God. That was not (laughs) meant to be a segue, but there she goes. You just pole blarted all over that thing. (laughs) Oh, God. She is on a roll. Let's just go with it. Mm -hmm. Well, thank you so much, Chris B. from Washington. Millie F. from Idaho. Katie L. from Connecticut. Kayla M. from Florida. B. B. From Oregon. Sierra T. from Tennessee. Amanda C. from Oklahoma. Christina R. from Texas. Shahima A. Um, excuse me, I was still doing my is. Okay, well, are you still? Okay. Okay, and go. Shahima A. from Australia. And Elizabeth G. from Florida. Uh, uh, uh. Oh, my God. I was like Count Dracula. Okay, well... (laughs) You were something. Oh, God. Thank y'all so much for joining Patreon. If you want an episode shout out, head on over to patreon.com slash the APC podcast. Let me tell you something that happened today. This is how old I found out I was today. Okay. It was a terrible joke. But Kim and one of our students were talking about, because look, the new thing at work is everybody's getting in on stocks right now, right? And Kim was saying something to one of the students about doing something. I don't know. And he goes, yeah, I can do that. I have Robin Hood, and I go, so I have Little John, and he goes, oh, you do stocks? <laughs> i just like, I'm this old. I slow blinked. I went, really? Robin Hood and Little John walking through the forest. <laughs> really? No, I don't do stocks. That is fantastic. I'm like, what? But said, also, did you not know that Robin Hood was a stock thing? No, I didn't. 
But not, it was a joke, though. Yeah. But it was also, like, I didn't know that. But it was also in, like, a, because I'm, like, the only one who's not doing stocks right yeah. now. So, like, so I have a little John. Yeah. Like, oh, I, you do, st- I didn't know. <laughs> I felt so fucking old. <laughs> yeah. I said, Robin Hood? He said, oh, is that, like, one of the classics? I said, <laughs> God bless. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes, it is. I only know what Robin Hood is from a podcast, like their ads. You know the Disney version, though. Robin Hood and Little John. Well, yeah. That's what I'm talking about. I know. (sighs) I felt so fucking old. I mean, I know what he's talking about only because of podcasts. Well, I don't. I feel like Carrie still wasn't following me on that. Yeah, I get Yes, I did. But I'm saying, focus on me. (laughs) And my pain of old agage. (laughs) That's not a word. <laughs> You're older and wiser and you have more insurance. <laughs> Tawanda. They, he probably hasn't seen that movie either. Oh, I, he probably... He, no. <laughs> Definitely not. Well, he's missing out. So we know Sunday was Valentine's Day, but it hasn't happened yet for us. But we know that I'm single, so I'm not going to have anyone or anything for that day. So my story is going to revolve around Valentine's Day But it's not a love story, because fuck love. (laughs) Okay, well, first of all, you know that you have potentially a dick appointment lined up. And two, you know that if not that, you and Tiffany are going to the fucking casino. I might buy myself a fucking expensive vacuum cleaner. Thanks, Taylor J. From the fucking Creepinati in our Discord. It's like, it would have changed your life. God, I hate being an adult. <laughs> like, it really looks cool. It really looks like it would change my life. <laughs> it's a lot of money. Do you know I'm going to get me some Reese's eggs? Mm-hmm. The two for a dollar? Because I'm excellent. Oh. Okay. See, if y'all were my Valentines, that's kind of shit y'all would get. That's why you don't have one. Probably. <laughs> <laughs> Touche. Uh, did I cut you too deep? That sounded really mean. I really didn't. It Touché. just It just flowed. I'm sorry. I love you. You're perfect. Kind yeah. <laughs> Not perfect enough. We'll picture it. Chicago in the 1920s. We all know that during Prohibition, mob crime in Chicago was at its peak. And when I think of mob stuff, I think of Al Capone. Mm, you're shady. Perfect. Well, in 1924, that's when Al Capone was really making a name for himself because Johnny Torrio, I think that's how you say it, he was the head of the Southside Mob. He ordered the assassination of his rival, O'Banion, the leader of the Northside Mob. Well, it was successful, but the Northside was not going to let the death of their boss go unpunished. So they tried to kill Torrio right outside of his home. Well, he was like, fuck this, I'm moving, I'm retiring, I want to fucking live. And he left the control of the South Side mob to his henchman, Al Capone. It's said that their black market booze and gambling empire was worth $30 million. In 1924? Yes. Holy fuck. And Al Capone was like 26 years old. Well... Capone was methodical, and the following month, he ordered a hit on the new leader of the North Side mob. It was again successful, and in succession, George Bugs Moran was now in charge of the North Side mob. Well, 
Moran wasn't afraid to fight the South Side, even though he didn't have any allies because they were all scared. So Capone and Moran were like mortal enemies. There was this one notorious event where Bugs Moran and his, you know, business associates drove six cars past a hotel where they knew Capone and his team were having lunch, and they released over 1,000 bullets into that hotel building. Good God. Well, Bugs thought he had finally found a way to put a dent in Capone's armor by killing one of his men named Pasquiano. I mean, if they weren't already murdered, I'm doing it by murdering their names. Sorry. Well, it lit a fire under Capone, so he wanted to retaliate. And he vowed that he would get his revenge and it would cost Bugs Moran everything. And the next day, Capone called one of his men and said he had a very special valentine that he wanted delivered to Moran. Dun-dun-dun. So that brings us to the actual subject of today. So picture it, February 14th, 1929. It's 10.30 a.m. and seven of Moran's crew were at 2122 North Clark Street at the SMC Garage. And what it was, it was like a car garage, but it was a front for Bugs Moran's illegal businesses. So there's two different stories. One is that they were all there to receive a shipment of booze from Detroit that they had gotten wind of the day before. Well, another thing is that they were there to discuss doing a hit on Capone. Like, okay, how are we going to take him out before he takes us out kind of thing? Well, as the men waited for the shipment or for the meeting to happen, they brewed some coffee, not only to wake up, but also to warm up because the garage did not have a heater. But just then, a police car pulled up outside. Four men, two policemen, and two people who were wearing civilian clothes get out and they walk into the garage. Well, thinking it was a raid, or maybe the policeman announced that it was a raid, Moran's men lined up against the wall inside of the garage. You know, they thought they were going to be frisked. That's what happened. You know, like a little shakedown. The police would get some money that, you know, that was illegal. Mm -hmm. But like, oh, what you got on you? Okay, okay. Like, oh, that's a nice watch. uh Let me do some dirty, dirty. All the things. shit. Yeah. Yeah. So that's what they were thinking. Like, okay, whatever. Whatevs. It's a very good descriptor. Whatever, whatevs. (laughs) (laughs) I know, I know. But instead, the men who had just came in opened fire. (gasps) And the seven men of the North Side mob were riddled with over 70 rounds of ammunition that were fired from machine guns, shotguns, and a revolver. They were murdered in careful swoops of fire, which first targeted their heads, then made their way down to their chest, and then finally their stomachs. My God. This became the most infamous display of gang violence in America. It's known as the St. Valentine's Day Massacre. The victims were Peter Gusenberg and Frank Gusenberg. They were both gunmen for Moran. Albert Kalachek, who went by James Clark, and he was Moran's second in command. 
Adam Hayer, who was a bookkeeper and like business manager. Albert Weinshank, who managed several cleaning and dyeing operations for Moran. Reinhard Schwimmer, he was an optician who basically abandoned his practice just to have the thrill of hanging out with mob, like the what mob the life. Yeah, because he wanted to gamble on horse racing and just like liked hanging out with the bad guys. He didn't do any of the dirty, dirty work. He just wanted to be cool. Yeah. Question mark. Basically. And then there was John May, who was a car mechanic for the gang. And he wasn't even supposed to be there because a lot of these were the higher ups. And he was just there like to work that day. And it was kind of a surprise meeting. By some miracle or not so miracle, Frank Gusenberg had survived. When Detective Sweeney arrived at the massacre scene, he recognized Frank because he was his childhood friend. With 14 bullets in Frank's body, he crawled 20 feet from that wall that he was, you know, attempted to be murdered at and had crawled to the door. Basically executed at yeah. and then crawled. Yes, 14 bullets in his body. So the detective found him. They took him from there to the hospital. Well, Detective Sweeney had asked him, like, who shot you? What happened? What's going on? Well, when he got to the hospital again, Detective Sweeney was like, Frank, in God's name, what happened? Who shot you? And Frank is notorious for this answer. Nobody shot me. He had 14 bullets in him, and he was, like, gangsta to the end. Damn. To the end. Snitches get stitches. I mean, sir, you about to die. But he didn't want his reputation ruined. Yeah. I mean, he needed stitches, but. (laughs) Like, But here's the thing. Even though they had successfully taken out the major players of Moran's gang, they didn't get the intended target because Bugs actually missed getting killed by mere minutes. Wow. Because he woke up late. I mean, see, y'all be talking shit about me waking up late, and here we go. That, uh-huh. You want to know how Kobe woke me up this morning? Because I woke up late. He said... It's 7 05. You're going to be late. You're going to just try to be late every day this week. <laughs> the shade. See, I may have missed by minutes being shot up to death. Uh huh. I don't know what accent you just had I don't right know then. <laughs> it was my gangsta accent. <laughs> but you were very, very passionate about that. It was that. my Bugs McGee or whatever his name Moran, is. Moran, but same yes. thing. Well, yeah. So the meeting was at 10 30 and he was still at his house. And I'm like, Bugs, I feel you. I mean, that is a Donna move right that there. That is legit a Donna move. We have to be there at 1030? Okay, I'll leave my house then. Yeah. And it saved his life. I'm just saying. It's 30 minutes away? Cool. I'll still leave my house then. <laughs> I mean, you know. So, yeah. So, he arrived late. And when he was going, he saw that police officers were getting out of what looked like an unmarked police car. And he was like, 
you know, it looks like a police car, but it's not marked. However, we've been like, we've had some shakedowns before because they've been undercover or mm-hmm. whatever. It was like, all right, let's duck into this cafe. We'll have some coffee, wait it out. Hopefully the men don't have to like serve jail time. Hopefully it's just something, you know, like small and we can get back to work. So they missed everything, everything. But the gangsters, the mobsters, they were like suave and stuff. So they had their like Sunday best on, their Mm -hmm. suits, their coats, some hats, and, you know, just like dressed to the nines or whatever, or the tens. I don't know. I'm dressed to the ones all the time. I think nines. So there's that. (laughs) But I feel you don't dress to the ones. Right. I'm literally in PJs right now. I mean, I'm basically in PJs. We're at Donna's house and I'm in PJs. No. No. I mean, don't put it past her. We're not. We're at my house, but I would still be in PJs at your house. Yes. No, she would come over in like her scrubs, be like, okay, I'm going to get changed, change into my shit, and I would never see the PJ pants again. Until she came to my house and I put them back on. Uh Uh-huh. I'm like, oh, (laughs) these are yours. (laughs) I mean, friends. (laughs) Get some, they said. Have friends. It'll be fun. (laughs) Well, they had lookouts. So when they saw Bugs Moran, they could be like, all right, go in. Well, they had mistaken one of the lieutenants for Moran because they were kind of the same build, height. And again, they were all dressed really nice and stuff. So they thought it was him and it wasn't. So they thought they had their intended target in there but they didn't they fucked up yeah a few days later bugs told the reporters only capone kills like that well they reached out to capone but he was in florida at the time very convenient and he was like the only man who kills like that's bugs moran you know so again they were just like at each other like at opposite ends you know pointing the fingers and they only had a few eyewitnesses, and people were just like, look, they had two policemen and then two undercover policemen. They came out, and then they sped away, and then we heard a dog barking, and we went in, and we found the bodies kind of thing. Called y'all, and here we are. It was apparent to the real police that those were not real policemen. Mm-hmm. And because that car was unmarked, it, like, really wasn't a police car. They, you know, again, just had, you know, like, painted a car just like that. Enough that it was believable to people doing shady shit. And you're, you know what I mean? Right. Bless them. Can you imagine, though, thinking that you're just, it's an ordinary day kind of thing, like, all right, get this over with. And then you're murdered? Like, brutally? And, like, if you were in the middle of the line, you had enough time to realize what was happening. Because I'm sure if they had four people, they probably started shooting at the ends and, like, worked their way in, you know? Yeah. But, again, Bugs really was like, look, it was Al Capone. Even though he was at his Miami home or whatever, he still ordered the hit. Like, it had to be him. But no one could prove anything. And... No one was ever brought to trial for the murders, and it remains one of the biggest unsolved crimes in history. What? Unsolved? I didn't know it was unsolved. Yeah. 
Yep. And that really, that St. Valentine's Day massacre pretty much was the nail in both of their coffins because it did kind of give Al Capone that reputation, like no one messes with him. Okay, cool. However, it made him public enemy number one. So the federal authorities went after him for everything they could. You know, if they could get him for one thing and make him go to jail for two months, they do it. You know, anything and everything. And we all know that they eventually got him for tax evasion. Capone was sentenced to 11 years in prison and he was released in 1939 and then died at his Florida home in 1947. And again, the massacre was that last last thing for Bugs Moran because that pretty much took out his whole like upper division. Mm-hmm. So his gang kind of fell by the wayside. And what he did, he just went back to doing like petty crimes and stuff. He did like small time robberies and just stuff like that. And he was sent to jail in 1946. And he died in prison in 1957 of lung cancer. So he was in jail for 11 years. So as long as Al Capone. Yeah. Well, you just did that math. (laughs) 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 Sure. Well, one little note, not math equations. On the seventh anniversary of the massacre, Jack McGurn, one of the people they believe was one of the hitmen. He was killed in a bowling alley, and it was just like with a lot of machine guns. His killer remains unidentified as well, but they believe it was Bugs Moran. And, you know, just kind of like... Retaliation. Mm-hmm, finally got his his turn, you know? All right, so now time for some paranormal. One thing, when Capone was incarcerated... I kind of talked about this one time because he was at the Eastern State Penitentiary Mm -hmm. and I covered him in that whole little section because he was haunted by the ghost of James Clark and he was one of the victims of the massacre. James Clark was the alias of the guy. Well, the prison inmates often heard Capone screaming in his cell because he had that private cell and he would be begging Jimmy to go away and to leave him alone. Al Capone wouldn't speak of it during the day to anyone, but they all heard him begging for peace during the night. When Capone was released from prison, he stayed at the Lexington Hotel, but he wasn't safe from the ghosts there either. Again, Capone's men would hear him shouting at the ghost to leave him in peace. And on numerous occasions, they would go into the room thinking someone was in there. Like, holy shit, someone slipped by us. Like, if he's not dead, we're going to be dead. Because, yeah. you know, like, we we didn't do our job. So he had to tell them about the ghost and, like, what he thought it was and all the things. Well, it was so real to him that he reached out to a psychic named Alice Britt. And they had, like, a seance and everything. But soon, his personal valet believed that he, too, saw the ghost. And he said that he entered the room, like, 
the hotel room and he saw a tall, dark figure standing near the window. And when he was like, who is that? Who's there? The figure moved behind the curtain and then just vanished out of sight. How I was asking about it before, can you imagine what was going through your brain, what was going through their brain when they died? Because one, you're thinking like policemen, and then you're like shady fucking policemen, but Mm -hmm. it's not even that. Well, the bricks are supposed to hold that energy. And the history goes that that front portion of the SMC garage was turned into this antique furniture storage in 1949. And it was bought by a couple who didn't really know what had happened there. They were, you know, like from out of town, just saw this little place. It was fine. However, they soon closed down because they didn't have a lot of customers, but a lot of tourists because they knew what happened. Well, then in 1967, the building was demolished, but a Canadian businessman, he purchased the bullet marked bricks from that back wall. He was basically like the Canadian Zach Bagans. Mm -hmm. Well, he opened up a nightclub in 1972 and he was like, let's do like a speakeasy 1920s theme, rebuilt the wall and put it in the men's bathroom. I don't know why. But he did. And three nights a week, women could go in there to peek at the wall. Okay. Yeah. Though I really would want to go see Oh, the yeah. Wall. I would absolutely want to go see it, which is why I'm like, why the fuck would you put it in the men's bathroom? Right? So just like, okay, thanks for the three nights a week. I can go in there and fucking look at it. Yeah. I don't yeah. Know, that's weird. Very yeah, weird. Yeah, I would definitely want to fucking see the wall. Yeah. Well, the club operated for, a, you know, for a while. But then he closed down. He placed the bricks in storage. But then he was like, you know what? I can make some money. So he put them up for sale, had like a little written note of the massacre, all the things. And each brick sold for $1,000. But soon, everyone was returning the brick that they purchased. And it's like everyone who purchased it had bad luck in the form of an illness really bad, like, financial luck, divorce, or death. And so they say, like, with all of that negative energy from the bricks, it kind of just, like, you know, again, it's like the Dybbuk box and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. How it would cause shit without even, like, you doing anything. It's just being in your possession. Well, now everything is demolished at that site, and it's just a parking lot for a nursing home. But even today, people who walk along that street, they say they can hear screams. They can hear machine guns. There's this, like, place that's been fenced off that five trees are scattered along, placed in a line. And it's kind of, like, marking where the rear wall was. And at that place, people have said that they've seen mist or unusual lights, and they can hear men's voices when no one else is inside. And people who are sensitive can stand in front of that fence and they feel like fear and anxiety and just all of those negative emotions, but not in like that anger. It's just in that unknown kind of negative emotions. But animals have also reported to really fear this place And dogs appear to be especially bothered. Sometimes they'll bark or howl, 
or they'll whine like in fear, not in pain or anything. But they say this is because of John May's dog, Highball, because he was a German shepherd who was tied to one of the axles of the trucks in the garage because John May really wasn't planning on anyone being there. So he had he had brought Highball to keep him company, but like, hey, let me tie you here, you know, so you can't go anywhere, whatever. Well, he survived the massacre, but he was hysterically barking after that. Some say that's how they went in and found the bodies because it's like, yeah. okay, they left, but then like that dog's still barking in there. Like, what's going on? Yeah. You know, well... The cops apparently had to put the dog down because he was not the same <gasps> oh, after that. Oh, God. Yeah. And so they say, like, his panic could have left, like, imprints on the ground and, like, the area. And so that's why dogs are especially affected. And then people in the nursing home, they have seen some of the monsters. The co-owner of a tour company named Weird Chicago his name's Ken. He said that one woman had some spirits of gangsters in her room. They moved her out of the room because she was upset. And she was like, they just randomly come in, you know, but they really didn't believe her. But they're like, you know, Gladys, she calls all the time, blah, 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 blah. However, another gentleman came in and he did not have dementia or anything that she had. And he saw the exact same thing. He said there was a gangster, a fedora hat, and a double-breasted pinstripe suit. So because of his experience, they then believed the previous lady as well. So a lot of the bricks were later sold individually, but the remainder are now owned by the Mob Museum in Las Vegas. And Zach, old Dibbick douche, he had the opportunity to see them on the Deadly Possessions show that I watched. That motherfucker got his hands in Everything. I know. And I totally, it's the same one I watched with that conjure chest that I covered. Oh. Yeah. But I had totally forgot about it until I was like, Valentine's Day kind of stuff for paranormal. And this happened. And I was like, wait, I know about this because of Zach. Like, I was like, damn it. All right. Let me include him in here. Y'all really are meant to be then. <laughs> oh, let me tell you. <laughs> I mean, Okay. Let's just say, just to cut you off for a minute, you really did go on a date with him. Do you say, can you stop with the fake possession? Like, like, do you call him out on his bullshit like that? Or are you just like... <laughs> I mean, I'll be like, can you possess my pussy? Okay, that's not <laughs> one of the options. <laughs> D, none of the above. <laughs> I want that D. Oh my God, why did I have to pick that letter? I don't know. E. <laughs> Nope, I'm sure you can come up with something nasty. Uh, I don't know. All I'm thinking about now is ectoplasm. I sure hope you get that dick appointment on Valentine's Day. <laughs> Me too, right? So, future dick appointment, Zach, he did an EVP session with a lady who works at the museum. Because she said that she had seen an apparition there. She said, like, the museum had just closed, but she saw something or someone. And so she followed the man that she saw. And as soon as she went around the corner, just like he did, he disappeared. And so Zach had her do the EVP with him. And so, like, 
they have the bricks laid out and they have Jack McGurn's machine gun in one area. And so, but it's all behind like plexiglass or whatever. And so he put like microphones over the brick, like over one part of the brick that had the bullet hole right there. And then over Jack McGurn's gun. Also though, he was like, can I hold the gun to the like guy? And he was like, no. (laughs) And like, so he had to put on gloves because he was like, can I put my finger on the trigger? And the guy was like, yes. And like, Zach was so fucking giddy. (laughs) Like, it was silly, but in the best way possible. And he was like tongue tied. He like got to put his finger on the trigger and he was like, can I keep the gun? And he was like, I mean, the glove. He was like, oh, gosh. And I'm like, oh, my God. (laughs) You know? Yes. I mean, that would be me. Yes. Uh, I saw you meet Patrick Hines. I know. Okay, look. Patrick Hines is on a different level than Zach Bagans, okay? I know. I'm in a whole nother octave. (laughs) (laughs) We here. (laughs) We love him for it. But we here. (laughs) Oh, my God. Like, oh. Because Patrick is you and you is him. I know. That was, yes, that was like meeting my doppelganger. Patrick is like, no, not at all. Not even a little. Nope. mm -mm. No one. Definitely no one. Donna. I'm just like Patrick. (laughs) (laughs) So they get one hit because, you know, like they're doing their whole little session. But they get one thing and, you know, they do the whole like, let's listen. And it's. Womp, 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 womp. But then they like break it apart and then you hear exactly what they say. And I'm like, mm-hmm. that does sound like that. But they broke it down. But it sounds like, help, I'm dying. What is happening to me? And that does make sense, though, because if they're getting shot, mm-hmm. facing the wall, and they're like, what's happening? Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. That's their last thought before they died. And so it's like residual energy in those bricks. Well, was it just sounds they were picking up or was it like answers to a question? They ask questions, but I don't think it was actually a response. It was just like, oh, shit, no, there is something right there. Because if it was residual, just like this residual loop of a thing then it wouldn't be like an intellectual response to a question then. You know? Right. See, I listen. I know you do. When Zach's brought up, so apparently y'all are soulmates. Definitely not. <laughs> <laughs> I would like to see that machine gun, though. It was really cool. And it was really scary to see because, like, the guy, like, the guide, he was like, you can tell that it wasn't meant for precision it was meant for the most damage possible. Oh, yeah. You know, and Absolutely. it's like, oh, just to think about that. Like, it's just literally meant to just spray bullets. Yeah. That's like shivering. Yes. You know? Yes. Because you could have 14 bullets in you and still try to crawl and save yourself. Or die instantly. Yeah. That's what's like so bizarre about the human body mm-hmm. and that's what makes like the i survives and all that so and selena so frustrating <laughs> i will always go back to selena getting freaking shot in the shoulder how'd she die 
Meanwhile, he there's gets There's a conspiracy shot. there. Well, meanwhile, he gets shot fucking 14 times and he crawls and is like, no one shot me. <laughs> is yours a love story? Unrequited love? Oh, shit. Question mark? Okay. All right. So this week's story is about a girl by the name of Corey Parker. Corey was originally from upstate New York, but she moved to Jacksonville, Florida to go to college. Corey was working her way through college at this place called Ragtime Tavern near Jacksonville Beach. Corey was exactly how, like, there's literally a dateline on this, and it's exactly how dateline would describe her. Like, beautiful, everyone loved her. You know, I mean, exactly what you would expect. Corey, so she was 5'11". So she just had a presence when she walked into a room. And on the Dateline, her one of her best friends talked about how she loved wearing heels and stuff. So she just had a presence when she walked in a room. People noticed Corey. She was beautiful, yet humble, and she really valued her independence. And she had just started gaining her independence and had rented her own apartment by herself, like no roommates, no nothing. Corey and I could literally have like a sitcom because everything that would be convenient to her would be an inconvenience to me and vice versa. I'm just thinking about like my microwave placement would break her back trying to get that low. Oh my God, yes. But then if it was above the stove like normal people do, it's a struggle for me to get things out of something hot out of the microwave. Because I'm, like, on my tiptoes. Do you remember that Geico commercial that I always thought was a reality show? And it was called, like, Tiny House. And it was, like, a newlywed couple. And they had to live together in a tiny house. And they were, like, average size Mm -hmm. people. Yes. That would be her having to conform to my... Life. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. I would be, like, Alice when she ate the, like, I don't know, crumpet... And shrank if I had to do anything with her. Yes. Corey loved her new apartment. It was on the first floor. So she was a little like, uh, about it though. Because again, it's the first floor. And it was pretty close to the beach. So there was a lot of foot traffic in the area because people would have parties on the beach and all that. So there was some foot traffic that just, again, made her a little uneasy But she loved being so independent and just living on her own. If it doesn't have an elevator, put me on the first floor. Honestly, even if it has an elevator, put me on the first floor. I've lived in a few apartments, and I don't go above the second floor if I don't have an elevator. No. I'm not. I refuse to schlep my groceries up. I know that that is ridiculous, but And that's so, like, life in the city- I know. Normal, and I'm like, no, because I go to the grocery store. Once a month. Once a month, yes. Mm-hmm. Do you remember what it was like when we lived in the dorm and we had to go up three flights of stairs and we really did go to the grocery store mm, like twice in that whole semester mm-hmm. and it was fucking hell. Miserable. Miserable. Hell. Yeah, but see, in the city, people go to the grocery store more often. Like, oh, let me just stop at this little, what's it called? Bodega? Yes. Bodega? Bodega. Yeah, let me just stop right there and grab little one twosies, threesies, and then make my dinner. We're like, well, let me 
go to Sam's and look like I'm buying for the fucking Duggars. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then go home and be like, I have nothing to eat. I don't want to make anything. And then go out to eat. Or be like, I have everything and literally eat everything. One of all the things that you mm-hmm. just bought. That's what I used to do when we lived in the dorms. Oh, my God. And I would run out of food because I'd be like, oh, my God, I have all the things. And I'd eat it, and I'd be like, Donna, can I have some of your Easy Mac? She really, like, that is a true story. True story. <laughs> I'd be like, yeah, Carrie, go ahead. <laughs> this bitch always had fucking money, and she didn't work. I'd be like, Donna, I'd be like, I would get the Equate Easy Mac. <laughs> this bitch would get craft. I'd be long out. I'd be like, Donna, can I have some of your Easy Mac? <laughs> this is the real shit. <laughs> it's not chalky at all. <laughs> Corey made friends with some of her neighbors at the apartment complex and just made it her home. She had a lot of friends in the area. Did you ever make friends at your apartment? Oh, fucking no. <laughs> Have you met me? I know. That's why I was asking. (laughs) I don't even like to say hey to people. (laughs) I do because it's the nice thing to do. (laughs) And I mean, I want them to tell me if like my house is on fire. But no, I could not tell you anything about anyone that lives next to me right now. Like literally not one thing. No, that's a lie. You know that guy smokes in his garage at night and leans against his car. I do know that because I've been eyeing him for Tiffany. (laughs) I've been like, hmm. But like where you go for like a couple weeks, you must work offshore. (laughs) And I know that people across the street decorate for all the holidays. All the holidays. And remember, they're the ones that, because I just moved in that first Halloween and they asked me all the questions about the house. Yes. I'm like, I don't fucking know who owned it too. Two owners ago? Okay, picture it. Thanksgiving Eve, 1998. Corey and her friend Tiffany had gone out for the night. And about 1.30 that morning, Corey was like, "Eh, I'm done. I'm going to go home. And so Corey drove herself home. Tiffany left with some other friends. And they were like, okay, cool. Talk to you later. Talk to you later. And Corey was supposed to come over to Tiffany's house the next day for Thanksgiving. Tiffany went on with some friends to a couple of different bars. She called Corey, I think at like 2.15, 2.30 that morning. Corey was already asleep. And then at around 4, I think, she went over to Corey's apartment. And Corey never answered the door. And so she just left. The next day was Thanksgiving. And Corey never showed up to Tiffany's house. Tiffany, of course, was disappointed that Corey never showed up, but was just like, well, maybe she's hungover. You know, I don't know. Maybe beats me. I don't know why she never came, but she never showed up. You know she was pissed. I mean, I would have been. I would have been pissed. Well, because Tiffany was like with like her, I don't know if it was at her parents' house or her parents came over to her house, but like. I know for sure she was with her mom. So it was like her her family knew that this person was supposed to be coming and then for yeah. her to just not show up. Yeah. You know, and that they were fairly, fairly new friends, but they were still pretty close. Well, it wasn't until the next day, Friday, that people started to notice 
that Corey was missing. Corey didn't show up for her shift as a waitress on Black Friday. Her boss, who was like, mm, this isn't like her, sent one of the cooks over to her apartment to check it out and see like what was going on with her. He went over, knocked on the door. She didn't answer. So he came back and the manager was like, mm, no, that's really weird. Go back and check again. And that, that was kind of weird. No, weird's a strong word, but that made me kind of, not even kind of go, hmm, but I wonder why they sent him back. I wonder if like they even saw her car there or something like her, you know, like what made her go or he, him or her, I have no idea what made them go. No, 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 go back. But whatever it was, her coworker went back and when they got there, they went around to the other side of the apartment and could see through her bedroom window and saw her foot and her foot was covered in blood. So freaking out, the coworker went back to work and they immediately called police. When police get there, it is said that the scene was one of the most gruesome scenes that they've ever experienced. Corey was positioned in a very sexually suggestive position. They said it was very indicative that she knew her killer. Why? I guess just of like how aggressive the crime scene was and just how she was displayed. I never really saw if she was nude or not, but I based on how everything described it, it sounded like she was she was nude. But like her legs were splayed open. Like spread eagle? Mm-hmm. Okay. Wide open. But here's the thing though, there was no evidence of any rape or sexual assault at all. So she was positioned very sexually and like suggestive, but nothing sexually was actually done to her. But there was an epic struggle that had taken place. There was blood everywhere. Corey put up a fight. She had been stabbed 101 times. Wow. And over 50 of those were postmortem. What? There wasn't a ton of evidence at the crime scene, but the evidence that police did find included in Corey's hand, there was some hair, but not just like, oh, I ran my fingers through my hair and some came out. It had some root to it. So clearly, like, she had pulled it. There was a Zippo lighter on the floor that they found. And so Corey smoked, but they found through interviewing like her friends and all of that, that that was not her lighter. And then the crime scene was basically all in the bedroom. They could tell that whoever did this basically waited until she was asleep before they attacked. So it all happened in the bedroom. But in the kitchen... At the window by the sink, there was like a palm print where it looked like somebody had pushed off to climb out the window, like a bloody palm print. They also found some blood at the crime scene that was not Corey's. Because you can imagine that when you stab someone that many times, there's going to be so much blood that the knife is going to get slippery. So your hand is going to slip on the knife. So you're going to cut yourself. You didn't know that the killers did that? 
No. Oh, a lot. The knife gets so slippery from the blood that their hand literally slides down and they cut themselves. And that's a lot of times why they leave DNA at the crime scene. Because they they bleed. Because... They better get some rubber gloves. It doesn't matter. It's, the knife is what's slippery. When, it, when there's this level of stab mm. wounds. I mean, mm-hmm. if it's just like one stab, no. Yeah. But if it's like this level, yes. That's like a thing. If I ever want to stab you over a hundred times... I now know I need like a microfiber cloth so I can wipe it up because I do not want to stab myself. Well, it's not necessarily stabbing yourself. It's literally your hand slides down the handle of the knife and you slice it. That's even worse. I'd rather stab myself. Mm -hmm. That's like a freaking flex or tendon injury waiting to happen. Well, I was just going to say a major paper cut, but yeah, that. So police figured out that the killer used the window in the kitchen as their kind of entrance and exit and obviously didn't come through the front door because you know it's well lit and all the things so they have to canvas i don't even know how many apartments and stuff and again if you you think about it everything kind of does point to it being someone that she knows because it was someone that knew that she was home knew she was asleep and then again from the amount of stab wounds and the position of the body and all of that they felt like it wasn't a stranger on stranger type of killing but they still had to do their due diligence so they're canvassing the area interviewing people in the neighboring apartments but this is a a big complex there's a lot of apartments around it it's just a few blocks from the beach like i said lots of people coming and going from parties that sort of thing so i mean really the suspect pool is endless Well, since you said that she was friendly and stuff, uh, unlike you, (laughs) it could have been someone that she knew, and it was her neighbor. You know what I mean? Right. So then Camison makes sense, and... Maybe. Oh, gosh. Okay. But you are right. So please do start with what they know. They know the people in her life, for sure. So they start there. And they do know that she had a new boyfriend, They hadn't been together very long, like three, four weeks, not a very long time, but they seemed pretty happy together by all accounts. But again, they're still going to check him out. It didn't take long for police to rule him out as a suspect because they were able to quickly figure out that he was out of town at his parents' house for Thanksgiving. I mean, even in 1998, you can check all that out through plain stuff. Then police turned to the next-door neighbor, like you said, that Corey was pretty close to. Her name was Ashley, and she and Corey were pretty close, but Ashley had a brother, and her brother didn't have an alibi. His alibi was basically that he was, like, in and out of the apartment all night. He literally just didn't have one. Oh, gosh. So, he... Was like, had a whole relationship with her in his head. And then it was like, that bitch has a boyfriend? And there was a hair found on the bottom of Corey's sock that was in the bedroom that was forensically similar to Joe's hair. That was his name, Joe. Well, there's like a tally for wearing socks to bed, I guess. Mm -hmm. So... While police didn't really have anything specific other than this hair that 
they couldn't even really link specifically to Joe. They just had like a likeness to him. But again, they couldn't forensically link him to it. So he was a person of interest. They weren't really calling him a suspect. So they continued looking. He was still in their back pocket, though. What about his sister, Ashley? I never really saw anything about Ashley. I don't think that they ever even thought that it was her. Okay. I never saw anything about Ashley. Okay. Well, just because you said there wasn't any, like, signs of sexual, like, intercourse or anything. So, sorry, I'm already trying to solve this, you know? Mm, You would have never guessed. (laughs) Well... Police weren't just looking at men, though. They were looking at her friend, Tiffany, because Tiffany was the last one to see her alive. And she said that she called Corey at like two something in the morning. But when police looked at the phone records, that call wasn't there. And so they were like, well, that's weird. And then the more they interviewed people, Some people said that actually Tiffany is bi-curious and actually she's pretty infatuated with Corey and Corey's not with her. Corey thinks they're just friends and they all say Tiffany has actual romantic feelings for Corey. So basically police are like, hmm. Okay, well, this is, a, this is a little strange. Then police found out that Tiffany had been telling people stuff about the crime scene. Things about the stab wounds. Stuff that was not public knowledge. Like, how the fuck did she know that? See, another reason I can't be a killer, because that would be me. Duh. I would be like, let me tell you all the shit. Be like, how you know that? Um, well, see, what had happened was, uh, okay, it was me. I did it. I'm sorry. Bye. <laughs> but also, Tiffany, she can't love you if she's dead. Gah. You know how many times I've been friend zoned? Well, about five months after Corey's murder, Tiffany left town for New Orleans. Like, moved there. Mm. So police were like, wait, what? This is weird. So she's got details of the crime. She was being cooperative at first. Now she's like up and moved. And then once she moved and police tried to ask her questions, she lawyered up. Mm. Which again, kind of pisses me off that that's like a hmm thing though. Because again, if you ask me questions, like if you brought me to a police station and you ask me questions, I like to think that I would be like, But I want an attorney. Yeah. But see, then again, I may not because I don't want to make you go, hmm. But on the other hand, it should not make you look guilty for protecting yourself. Yeah. Because it's literally your right. Like, getting getting an attorney does not mean you are guilty. It means you are just protecting yourself. Yeah, because also we know that cops can withhold information, but also give like falsified information to get things, not like to lie, but you know what I mean? But they can, they literally can. Where it's like, oh, your friend's talking about blah, 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 blah. And you want a better deal, you know, that kind of shit. So yeah, I don't want to be played because I fall for shit. Okay. 
Also, if I was like in handcuffs, you know, I'd be in like a submissive state and I'd be like, whatever you say, daddy. Oh my God. But I'm like you too, though. It's interesting that Corey's body was positioned so sexually explicitly, but that there were no signs of sexual assault. And so that kind of made me think, well, could this be Tiffany then? But if it was, like, I, I don't I don't know. Even if Tiffany was or is bi-curious, who gives a fuck? But even if she is or was, I just don't think it would have gone down like, you know what I mean? Yeah. I just think she would have some history of stalking or there would be some sort of escalation where Corey was like, ugh, Tiffany's kind of weird. Yeah. Tiffany's kind of been acting strange. Like Within that past month, while she had that new boyfriend, like things would have definitely switched. For sure escalated. For sure have gotten to a point where she had at least told her best friend something more like of odd behavior. She's increasing her calls. She's yada, 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 yada. Yeah. You know? Also, I feel like if it was Tiffany... Which is really weird to say Tiffany because all I picture I is Tiffany. Well, and I even said I can't, something I said like the one of my last sentence. Tiffany's weird. I was like, that's such a. It's so bu- like bizarre saying that sentence yeah. because it, I don't know. It was just a bizarre sentence. To say. Yeah. If she was like infatuated with Corey, and it got to this point where she stabbed her over a hundred times, I feel like there would have been some kind of sexual trauma. Because it doesn't matter that, like, she could have used anything. That's what I was thinking, too. She would have used some sort of object for penetration for Mm -hmm. something. Yeah, like, something would have happened. Or, I don't know, I just feel like something would have been done Mm -hmm. with that. If she was that infatuated with her Mm -hmm. to, like, be her friend, but also be in love with her. And I, I don't know. But her knowing that crown seems really sketchy. And the only other way I'm thinking that she would know it is if she looked in the window and saw, but then why didn't she say anything? Well, police ended up getting a court order for her DNA, and they tested it all, but it ended up kind of not mattering because the test results came back proving that that unknown blood at the crime scene that wasn't Corey's had a Y chromosome. So it was a man. Mm. So it was definitely a male perpetrator. So it couldn't have been Tiffany. But regardless, they took her DNA, compared it, and it's not a match. Yeah. So back to the brother. Yes. But I do want to say that Tiffany knew the stuff about the crime scene because she had a friend who was an EMS, like, first responder... EMS worker, and they had seen the crime scene and told her. Oh, no. So she was just relaying information that she had been told. Yeah. And then as far as moving to New Orleans, she said she was in basically such a dark place. She was like, I'm not gay. I. She never said whether or not she was bi-curious or, again, who gives a fuck? Even if she is gay, it shouldn't fucking matter. Yeah. Like, it doesn't... Someone who's gay and someone who's straight can be friends. Like, it... Yes. It doesn't... Like, it, it doesn't fucking matter. Like, a lesbian and a straight cisgendered female can be fucking 
friends and one yes. not develop feelings for the other. It's yes. okay. So I, I don't like I, I don't understand what this like. So you just assume that Corey was even her type if right. they were. Even if she is a lesbian, like, maybe that's not even her type. Like, what the fuck ever? So, anyway, she's like, I'm not a lesbian, so I didn't have feelings for her. Like, we were friends, I thought, you know? But, like, all of this even made her question their friendship. And, like, I thought our friendship was growing. I thought we were developing stronger feelings as friends. Yeah. And then... She became this person of interest in this murder investigation because she was the last person to see her alive. And she's like, I made that phone call. I talked to her. She was asleep. I don't know why it's not on the phone records, but I made that phone call. We talked on the phone and she was asleep. And so I said, cool, like we'll check in later kind of thing. And she says she went down to New Orleans because she needed a break. She had turned to alcohol as a source of self-medicating because she was going through so much. She was a person of interest in a fucking murder investigation of one of her friends, you know? And so she was struggling. She was trying to get away and just catch a fucking breather. And she got an attorney because she's scared and doesn't want to go to jail for life for something she didn't fucking do. Yeah, And so, you know, when you take a step back, it's like all this stuff made her look guilty, but there's also like just this logical explanation for literally all of it, you know? And so it's, it's so crazy when you look at, you can look at two sides of a coin and have the same information and it just be presented two totally different ways. Yeah. But I just feel so sorry for her because her life was forever changed in so many ways and all she did was have a friend who was murdered. So at this point, please do know for sure it's a, it's a male based on the DNA. I forgot to tell you this at the beginning, is that before Corey was murdered, she would actually spend most of her time like at the back of her apartment because there was a peeping Tom in the area. And so she was really nervous and just really aware of her, I guess, surroundings and like who could kind of see in her apartment and all of that. So police are trying to kind of figure out who this peeping Tom is. They're getting just trying to get descriptors of who had been seen. They interviewed this 17 year old named Robert Denny, but they were like, he's 17. Like he doesn't fit this peeping Tom thing. Like, it just doesn't it just doesn't fit like we don't really think it's him then they stumble on one of Corey's co-workers dun 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 his name is Eric Eli Eric worked with Corey at the Ragtime Tavern and he was a dishwasher and he was basically obsessed with Corey He was kind of known, not kind of, he was known at the restaurant for being really creepy. He had hit on quite a few of the other waitresses. Then he honed in on Corey. She had turned him down numerous times when he would ask her out on dates. But he just was not getting the fucking hint. And He had this whole thing planned for Thanksgiving Day. So he cooked this whole Thanksgiving dinner and then was going to call 
Corey and say, hey, I cooked this whole meal and it's just me. Want to come over and eat? How fucking creepy is that? No, Hannibal Lecter, I don't. Is that, I mean, like, that is not, no. No. No, no, sir. No. No, no. Don't do that. No. I love that the episode of Dateline straight fucking calls him out and says, straight out of a Norman Bates playbook. Yes. Like, is that not fucking hilarious? (laughs) Dateline calls this motherfucker out. Damn. So detectives brought Eric in. And when they brought him in, the stuff he said would make the hairs on the back of your neck stand up. He basically talked about all of these, like, fantasies that he has. And so the police asked him, well, like, what are some things that you think about doing then that you, like, don't let yourself do because you know they're, like, they're not right? And he talks about how he fantasizes about raping Corey. He talked about how he fantasized even killing Corey. And so police are like, oh my God, he's like literally telling us everything. But then when they say, you know, did you kill Corey? He's like, no, I didn't. He's very clear about how he has a mental illness and that he, like, he knows all these things about himself, but he's like, I didn't kill her. I have these thoughts, but I know they're wrong and I'm not going to do it. No, like, no, I didn't, I didn't kill her. And police cannot find anything to forensically link him to her fucking bedroom. Because it was a brother of the neighbor. But what's there to forensically link him either? The hair kind of matched. But it's not, it's like a likeness. It's not. Yeah. You know? Well, did this guy, the dishwasher guy, did he have an alibi for that night? I don't know. Okay. Because we know the brother didn't. I was in and out of the apartment. Yeah. Whose apartment? By window? Well, and yeah, the palm print. Like, couldn't they have matched that or was it, like, not good enough? I don't know. There's definitely some holes in the forensics. I don't want to say the investigation. I don't want to say... I don't know. There's just some holes in what I can find. Yeah, kind of like that. relaying the information. Yes. Like, hey, we found this palm print, but it didn't say if Who's it was, it was or, right or whatever. Right. Could they test his blood against the blood found at the crime scene? Well, that's what I'm saying. There was nothing there, even, like, there was nothing forensically. They did. that. Th- there was nothing forensically linking him there. Oh, okay, so that didn't match his. Right. Oh, okay. Yeah, police gathered, like, 36 different DNA profiles of people in the area and all of that, and none of it matched. They even ran it in the state and national database, and nothing. And then a year passed, and nothing. Police had nothing more to go on. There had been a reward offered for any information that led to the finding of the killer, and that brought in basically a bounty hunter named William Rentschler, I think is how you pronounce his last name. So 
he is like a self-identified fugitive specialist. That's what he calls himself. He got that from Monster.com. Right. So basically, his story is he knew there was a reward. So he's looking into the case and he says something was odd. Well, I can see why he's a specialist now. (laughs) So remember when I talked about that 17-year-old Robert Denny? So he said that, you know, he had been like questioned and then police had been like, okay, blah, 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 blah. William said that he and a couple of his friends were basically just one day out, like, fishing, out on this dock, like, shooting the shit, having some beers, going over the case notes, you know, just like amateur detective style, when he remembered that the friends used to work at the same restaurant that Robert Denny guy did. So he was like, wait. I remember this guy. And so they started talking about him. They basically all put it together that, wait, Robert used to talk about that he would watch this woman from his balcony. Like he would watch her in her first floor apartment. Oh, shit. And then the coworkers are like, do you remember that time that like right after her murder, he was at work and like super super upset and then when they asked him what was wrong he said that it was because he had like a kid in texas that was sick and that he needed i'm making texas up i think it was texas i'm pretty sure it was texas but i could be wrong anyway but he had a sick kid in interstate pretty sure it's texas and that he needed to get to the kid, but he didn't have any money. So, like, all of his coworkers pulled this money to give him to get to the sick kid. And this is the 17-year-old? Yes. Okay. And so, when the manager went to give it to his sister, Robert's sister, because that's who he lived with at the time, the sister was like, um, he doesn't have a kid. And they were like, what the f- fuck like that's so bizarre right yeah and so they're like do you remember that was like right after this murder happened and so it was just like the timing was weird so they tell police all of this and it just puts him on police radar so they go ask the sister about robert the sister says oh so he was living with me and my husband and i had to kick him out Not long after basically that murder happened because he is so creepy. His sister said that she called him a night creeper because sometimes she would wake up and he would just be standing over her watching her. Uh Uh-uh. Right? Oh, no. She said he was addicted to porn and just was just, just sleazy, you know? Also, why did the police not take his DNA Or anything when they questioned him, even if they were like, no, it couldn't have been him. Well, because he moved. Mm -hmm. He moved. So he struck up this online relationship with this like 52-year-old in Maryland. This lady was married and he moved in with her and her husband. And they were having, like they were fucking, well, fucking (laughs) the whole time. And the husband was none the wiser. What? All this comes from the sister. But here's the kicker. He has an older brother 
that's in jail for murder for stabbing a woman over 90 times. Oh, gosh. So it's a very similar murder. Yeah. So police are like, is he trying to like one-up his brother? Is he trying to be like his brother? Like, who knows? But what are the odds of these two brothers having very similar crimes? Hell, he probably just knew, hey, I need to stab her at least 90 times. That'll kill her. And then was like, okay, and let me just keep going. And tend to grow on. Yeah. So Robert does smoke. And police did link the lighter that was found at the crime scene to him. Like they had, I don't know, like an ex-girlfriend or somebody that said, no, like that, I, that, I know that's his lighter. Yeah. Well, that would be a 17-year-old to have a Zippo lighter that would like always flip it up. Yes. Put it on, flip and it I, down. I think it was like gold plated too. Like, you of know, course, it yes. would be that. Oh God, it would be that. So, police go to Maryland to interview him, and they know they're they're not going to like walk up to him and be like, "Hey, can uh, we have your DNA for this murder back in Florida?" Yeah, right. But they're like, "We ain't leaving with Maryland without his fucking DNA." So, they go to Maryland, and they're like, "Okay." They decide that their plan of attack is going to be to interview him. As if he's a suspect in an assault case. And so maybe he's going to be like, okay, here, take my DNA because I didn't do this assault to try to be like, hey, I didn't fucking do it. Right? Could they not just wait until he threw stuff away? They can. Yes, they can. So they bring him in. They tell him all the whole assault spiel. They let him smoke during the interview. It's 1999. And then when he puts his cigarette out... He puts a cigarette butt on the back of his ear to take it fucking with him. So then they give him a bottle of water. He just fucking plays with it. Never fucking drinks it. Never opens it. Never drinks it. So then they're like, okay, let's get him to like sign, like write out his like statement, whatever. Put it in this envelope and sign it. Like seal it. He writes his little statement, puts it in the envelope, but he don't, he won't seal it. And he basically says to them, like, obviously, I'm not going to quote it because I don't know exactly what he said, but basically says, okay, you've tried three times to get my DNA and it hasn't worked three times. I'm not going to seal this envelope. You can seal it yourself. Dang. And so off he goes. So police follow him, of course, because now they're just like, well, fuck, let's find him throwing away some shit, right? Well, he goes to work and goes out to take a smoke break at work like every 45 minutes. And every time he goes outside to take a smoke break, he puts his cigarette butt either in his pocket or behind his ear, which you know that he had such a strong smoke smell on him keeping that cigarette butt. Mm -hmm. That is as an ex-smoker. I can, I can say that because I know what that smells like. You know he was strong. And also, every 45 minutes, he gets to go outside and take a, what, a five or ten minute break fucking take smoking a cigarette? Fuck that if I was his coworker, I would be like, um, why do you get so many fucking breaks? Get your ass back in here. You don't get that many breaks just because you smoke. Get in here. That's not fair. Well, then it fucking rains. And then he goes back outside to smoke again. Then he does something he hasn't done the whole time police have been watching him. He spits. Ew. 
We all know how I feel about spitting. Ugh. He spits Ugh. like not once, but like six times. What a camel. <laughs> Okay, well, maybe he smokes camel cigarettes, too. (laughs) Not an ad. So here's the thing. Because it had just rained, the rain acted kind of like a barrier for it to, like, soak in. I know, you're dying. Oh, my God, this is making me want to throw up. Anyway, so they were able to, like, collect it. And... Preserve the forensic. She's her, her face is turning so red, like legitimately. She's trying so hard not to gag. <laughs> so they have his DNA sample, they run it, it matches. So then they get him on recording saying that he had never been in her house because they're like, okay, so. We have to basically get him saying that he had never been in her house because otherwise he could say, oh, well, yeah, I carried her groceries in or yeah, yeah, I blah, 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 whatever. And so they had another detective come up and be like, we closed it. Like we found who did it. You, you never did blah, 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 blah. And he was like, no, I never went in her house. I never did this. I never did that. And so they were like, cool. And then that's when they were like, got him on record saying, because they had a wire, got him on record saying he wasn't in her house. Well, he was because his DNA is in, is in there. And here we are. So they arrested him. It went to trial. He pled not guilty. And there were some holes. You know, like I said, I never saw who's, or whose palm print, or if his ever matched it, they never said whose hair they found, or it. I don't think it matched him. To be completely transparent, there are holes. But that is his lighter, and that is his DNA. And it took the jury 45 minutes to deliberate after a three-week trial, and they found him guilty. And there's been some kind of back and forth because he was a minor when the crime happened. So they couldn't, I don't think that, like, I think they sentenced him to life in prison without parole. But I think they're currently going back to revisit his sentencing because he was a minor at the time. And so they're saying it's unconstitutional to convict a minor to life in prison without parole. So that may change. He still maintains his innocence. He has an entire blog devoted to his innocence. Like he talks about how William, the quote unquote bounty hunter, he, like he names the other, the coworkers, and he's like, I met them one time at a party. And he talks about how William was a police informant. And he's just like claiming that he's a bounty hunter to make it like look better with him getting the reward money for this information, but, or I don't even know if he got the money, but you know what I mean? Like, so he's got this whole blog about him being innocent and why take with it what you will, but it is pretty interesting. Like this guy's even just that it's like, again, how it's presented, you know, he's a police informant, like, and he's like, I'm a fugitive specialist 
recoverer guy or whatever he said, you know, and it's like, so you're a bounty hunter. No, but really he's like, no, he's a criminal informant. And I met those girls one time at a party and all of that could be bullshit and a lie because he's trying to get out of a life in prison sentence, you know? I mean, so who knows what the truth is, but either way, he's still maintaining his innocence, but he is currently in jail for the murder of Corey Parker. Well, couldn't a bounty hunter be a CI? Like, anyone could be a CI. Yes, but a CI tends to be someone who is actually a criminal, too. Yeah. Whereas a bounty hunter just tends to just look for the criminals. I mean, I'm sure they do some shady shit to find them, but... Not everyone, but... I'm sure there are some points where they have to skirt the line in order to find the people they have to find. Yes. What do you think? You think he did it? I mean, I guess so. I don't know. Like, it points to him. I know. Well, I just, I wonder why this is this is going to sound, I probably shouldn't even say this. Oh, gosh. What? I just wonder why there was no sexual assault. Like, what was the point? Not what was the point, but if, but also what was the point? Because he's been watching her all this time and obsessed with her all this time it was almost like this was the moment. That might be why he couldn't get it up. And he's so young when yeah. he did it. Yeah. And it's just so close to his brother's crime. You know, I just, because I thought that too, though. I mean, it was just maybe the buildup of, oh my God, I'm finally doing this. And then I can't, I can't. Yeah. And she put up such a fucking fight. He may have not been able to do it a with lie. her. Yeah, he. Well, I was gonna say he may not have been able to do it to her fucking dead body, and mm-hmm. she put up such a fight that he couldn't do it to her alive. Yeah, it's just so weird too, though, because obviously he's a writer. If he has a blog about stuff, that he didn't have anything about her. However, it's been over a year since the crime, so he when he met the fifty-two-year-old, he could have chunked everything. Yeah, or when they interviewed him the first time. He could have chunked all of his stuff or or whatever, if he took pictures or and again, whatever. There's no telling what we don't know or what they, I mean, who knows? Because he could have had some fucking live journal we didn't know about or they didn't know about or even yeah. understand in 98. You know, who knows? Yeah. Like, the DNA was there. He said he wasn't ever in the apartment. Mm-hmm. Well, that's a lie. Right. There's a lie somewhere. Yeah. So he's the only one linked to that crime that way. Right. I mean, I really wanted to be right about the neighbor's brother, but... Mm -mm. His DNA and stuff just didn't match. Yeah. But whose hair was that? I don't know. And it didn't match hers? Mm -mm. Maybe it was two people. Maybe. But two people for what, though? There was only one weapon, and... There was clearly no control of the situation. Yeah, true. I have no idea. Well, y'all tell us what you think. But he does know about DNA, so what if he planted that? I thought that too, actually. But, well, I was going to say it was only 1998. But on the other hand, well, that was only a year later when they were interviewing him. So it's not like it was that long later, you know? Yeah. Wow. If I were on the jury... I would have to know more to convict him. 
But you also are getting a snippet of a three-week trial right oh, now. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. That's what I mean. Like, I would need to know more Yeah, to certainly convict him to say, yeah, he did it. But, like, right now, yeah, he did it. Well, and also, I'm giving you such a small snippet of what was presented in a entire three-week trial. Yeah. So, I mean, it was enough that they felt confident convicting him in 45 minutes. Yeah. I'll never understand killing like that. You know, like, there's no reason for that. I know. Because you're obsessed with someone who's not even in your life. You're going to end their life. I just want to be like, how dare you think you deserve them? How dare you think that you, like, that you deserve another human fucking being? Like, that they don't have the power or the ability to to not choose you. Yeah, I, I mean, that's how I am when, with everybody. Like, even just that, like, cliche, oh, I'm fine with somebody if they're, if they're gay as long as they don't hit on me. Well, fuck you. I was about to say that. When you were talking earlier, I was about to say it, but then I was about to bring it back up. Because when you were talking about it earlier, like, it doesn't matter if she's bi, if she's a lesbian, whatever, you know. And that's it. It's like... People have preferences. Mm-hmm. It's okay. And they're not always going to be you. Like, fuck you that you just automatically assume. Like, just because you're of the same gender does not mean that they're going to automatically be like, oh, well, let me just pull my pants down for you. Yes. Fuck you. Right. Like, oh, okay, cool. Well, if you're that way, then you're the problem, dude. Or girl. Or what? You know what I mean? If- Person. Yeah, if you're that way that you would literally hit on every single person and not have, you know what, like have no standards for your pre- for your preferences. Yes. Like then, that you just hit on literally everything. Like you need to take time for yourself to figure that out because you're not actually looking for a partner. You're just attention seeking. Yeah. And why are you attention seeking? who hurt you i know we just went off on a thing but but seriously i hate that i hate when people get mad over anything i don't like when people get mad if someone doesn't like them because they're bigger it's okay if if i'm not your preference that's okay because i have preferences too yeah you know like i'm not your type okay cool like we're done it's okay like let's move on because like, let's not waste each other's time. I'm cool with that. Yeah. And that's okay. And But, like, I feel so bad if someone, like, messages me where you don't have to match with them or whatever. Mm-hmm. And they're not my type because they're going to go off on me for some reason. You know, and I'm like, you're just not my type. And I'm trying to be nice and tell yeah. you so you don't keep messaging. Like, I get it. And thank you for thinking I'm attractive. People have preferences, and it's not always going to be you, and it doesn't fucking matter. Just like, just like, it, but again, it's it's so fucking self centered and narcissistic to yes. just assume that someone is like I, I don't I don't know I don't know how we got off on this. I well, mean, I do, but I don't. Well, you, you know. know what? Okay, so y'all, my dad is moving in with me. All right, so like his behind the scenes, his health has like been pretty bad. He's old. <laughs> he's old. <laughs> but he's moving in with me, finally. 
we were just talking because he's like, are you sure? Are you sure you're you're an adult now? Like, are you sure? I'm like, yes. Like, you're going to be on one side. I'm going to be on the other. It's cool. And I was like, but if you hear noises coming from my room, mind your business. And I was like, there will be men over. And he was like, as long as they don't come in my room, we're okay. And I'm like, um, if they're coming up in your room, then we have a problem. Because one, I'm okay with the threesome, but not with my fucking dad. That's the goddamn truth. Okay, I got daddy issues and... Uh, you don't need them getting worse. Right? Also, that's the thing, too. I don't know if people understand that. Like, I have daddy issues, but, like, I'm not attracted to my dad. You know what I mean? Uh, No, I, I think that people understand that. Okay. I'm pretty sure people get that. Well, you know, I mean, sometimes, I don't know. I'm just like, and not my dad. No, I think that that's okay understood okay clearly the like dominant people that you're fucking obsessed with on tiktok with the face tattoos are like come in daddy look nothing fucking like your daddy right i don't know how we got here y'all but here we are oh we're ended up on daddy daughter tiktok somehow <laughs> ddog y'all know and uh we're just trying to stay on a paranormal chick so yeah no. Um, y'all let us know what y'all think about all these stories. Y'all... Let uh, us know who you think it is. Do I'm you gonna, believe it's him? I'm going with old boy this up in jail. I think so, too. Honestly, I think so. Can you believe I agree with you? No, I can't. I think we I think we got to get out of here while we're on a high note. So, thank y'all so much for listening. Don't forget to like, review, subscribe, all the things. And remember... Creep it real and, and don't, don't get scared. scared.